not only do artists make great buyers because they really appreciate it, but they it just makes your life so much more fulfilling. It's yeah. so much more fun. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Art Juice. This is honest, generous, and humorous conversations that will feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. And this is episode 78, and we are going to be talking about loving your other artist network. This is came up from some questions that we have had um, about basically our relationships with with other artists. Is it worth it? How much time should we spend on them? How does it help us? Should we be focusing on buyers? That kind of thing. So we just thought we'd have a little discussion about that and see where it went. But before we get into that, what have you been working on this week? Well, this week's been crazy because I've been bringing people into my full course. Um, and I don't want to talk about that because it's very, very boring. However, the one thing um, the of course, as always happens, the technology lets you down at the very worst moment. So I had planned this beautiful artist party to close my launch of my course. And it was really more than anything, a thank you to the uh, the former students who'd helped me throughout the free course in answering questions and moderating the Facebook group and everything. And I put together these presentations of their work there before they took the coursework and their what they're doing now work. And they were beautiful and they were even made in Canva and I'd made them look really lovely. And, and I was looking forward to showing them off and we all got together on Zoom and we were all ready to go, me and 10 people. And we pressed go live into Facebook for the party to start because there were too many people on the free course to do it on Zoom. So we had yeah. to stream it into Facebook. And it just sat there, which is the second time, third time this has happened to me with Zoom, where it just would not communicate with Facebook. Yeah. So I had told everybody about this party. There were, I, I think there were like 1,500 people waiting in Facebook for it to start and we couldn't do it. And you know, when you have to think on the spot, like, okay, what am I going to do? I can do a Facebook live. And then I thought I could bring each artist on, but the limitations of Facebook mean you can't, I couldn't share their work as well. Um, but at least I could bring them on to talk. So I got onto Facebook live and they've changed their whole interface. So I couldn't figure out while I was talking to everyone, also looking how to bring someone else on was too much for my little brain. So I ended up just talking and 11 minutes in, it shut me down. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Facebook just went off. I lost my internet or something for a second and I went off and I had to start the live stream all over again. So the whole thing was an utter disaster. Why do these things always happen or do they just feel like they always happen at the most important time? But they do seem to, they? do seem to, because the last last year, it was on the night when I was launching live and explaining to everybody what the new course was going to be about, that it didn't work. So, uh, but the funny thing was, people were saying, oh, you're staying so calm. And I, I wasn't calm, but you do get used to it. You do kind of think, okay, something's going to go wrong. And weirdly, I'd been emailing, messaging with Gabe, Lipper the day before and we talked about him last week having a a workshop coming up and his website crashed on the 
launch of his and he had to rush to Facebook and do a live. And he'd been telling me that the day before. And I then, the same thing happened to me. So anyway, but my point was the very best part of my week was making those brosh- those presentations and looking at the artwork. And I'm going to try and find a way to share it somewhere because the the each artist is so unique. Each one has moved their work forward massively. And the way they've done it, and this will come back to my what's inspired later, they've done it through working, if not every day, every week, going in, painting, and through relaxing and getting in touch with who they are Mm. and it so so truly unique work and it just was really exciting to see it all put together in that way um yeah so that was really the one of the best things that that happened to me this week I don't know if we can ever get to the stage where you have full backups for things like that going wrong I mean I think you know, now I think there is an alternative that you could have used, but it makes me hesitant about Zoom because, you know, Zoom, when you're talking to large groups of people is not cheap. No. And when you're, when you're relying on it for something and it goes wrong like that, there's no, you can't email support at that point. You need to do it then and there. And you kind of think, hang on a minute, I'm paying you this money every month and your system's unreliable. And you know, nothing is perfect 100% of the time. That's fine. But equally, you're paying for something to work. And when it doesn't work, I'm kind of like, well, do I really want to be giving you that much more money from more people? It's, it's, it's a real tricky one. I wondered if it senses something like sweat glands or something it can tell, <laughs> or can it tell stress hormones yeah that's when it goes wrong <laughs> yeah or, or pause zoom we should we should we should be we should be very thankful for zoom really because i know um, and the problem you know, they might have done be amazing on, things. it might be facebook's end it's probably something as simple as a tiny tweak to the api between yeah. one and the other and it doesn't work or yeah. it, I, I can't quite figure out if it's my internet if it's a slow internet connection problem, I don't know. But anyway, um, it was all in all, it was still a good week. It's just, and this is what we were talking about last week with, or was it last week or the week before growing pains? Yeah. Like you just have to get used to the fact that when you push into something new, it's just like with painting. When you start trying something new, you're going to make a mess of it or things are going to go wrong. Do you know what I quite like? I quite like the fact that you just said API and I vaguely know what you mean, even though I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know, what does it stand for? Something, something product interface, is it? I don't know. But for anybody who doesn't, they go, sound really good. what are you it? talking about? It, it's some funny little code that you get from one piece of software that you have to tell another piece of software. So like, for example, if you're if your mailing list is on MailChimp and your website is on Squarespace, you have to link the through two of them with an API code but it's the kind of thing that when I first started doing all of this I was like what I don't even know this is a whole other language and there you go carelessly dropping it into conversation so what have you been doing hopefully you've had a chance to paint I've had quite a nice week actually so far I've had I had a really nice um relaxed day I don't know why so much I think it partly it's this feeling of things coming to an end so there's been a lots of things coming to an end it feels like lockdown is ish coming to an end even though nobody's 
probably anything radically different. But it kind of feels like, I don't know, maybe the stress and the panic of it a little bit is coming to to an end. Term is coming to an end. Um, And I just felt suddenly that I had a little bit more time this week. And I have therefore been exploring a little bit in the studio I developed some new, some a new way of approaching working with limited color palettes in just as studies but in a slightly more fun way than just painting swatches I just didn't want to just paint swatches it's like oh I love doing that I absolutely oh, love it it is but I don't think it actually helps inform the way that you work so I wanted to combine an investigation into color with an investigation in form at the same time. So I thought, it fine. Secret? Are you Am I keeping it secret? It secret? Well, no, not really. You I just keep it a secret. It's not fully formed yet, but um, I just thought, well, I won't know if this works until I do it a couple of times myself. And it was really, it was really good fun. And now I'm thinking next versions of it. So I really enjoyed doing that. We have also, talking about live streaming, been revamping how we do things within my membership, just as a way to make it clearer for people. So we have a different system of doing that, which involved me making new graphics for the different things that we have each month. And I only kind of realized afterwards I just really enjoy doing that. I know for some people it's oh, it's an extra thing, but I, I got to the end of the day and I thought, oh, I did that really quickly and it was fun and it was fun finding the images and putting it together and tweaking them around to get them to work. And of course, that's what I used to do as, my, as a job. So it isn't, it isn't a surprise that I like doing it, but it did make me reconsider what parts of that that I like that then feeds into my artwork. So some of it is the the big idea. It's like, you know, what what are you really trying to convey here? What's the importance? What do you want people to see? How do you want the colors to work? What elements do you want to support other elements? And then it gets right down into the little tweaks and should that be a bit thicker or a bit thinner or nudge it up or nudge it down or nudge it sideways a little bit. And of course, it's much easier to do it digitally on a screen with graphics than it is with paint. But it just made me realize that actually it's a very similar process. And the end result is something visual that you look at and you think, I made that. And it's, <laughs> it's quite nice like when you can, it's just like painting as well in that it's nice when you can do it and it's frustrating when you can't. So when I go into yes. make graphics in Canva, I find it horribly frustrating because I don't have any design, graphic design education or knowledge. I know it doesn't look good. You know what they say about the gap between yeah. what you know. I know how I want it to look. I know it doesn't look like that but I don't have the skills to get it there. And that I find extremely frustrating. And I I always see yours and I always think, I wonder if she ever wants to like get into doing branding for artists because she could do my whole website. (laughs) So if you ever want a break from painting, I'll hire you to to design my look for my website because I want to redo the whole thing. Which is always a funny thing for me because I've never done my own website. It's hard for yourself, though, you see. It's really hard to write about yourself. It's just a priority thing. I think doing it for the membership, I have to do it. There's a reason, and this is the thing with graphics, is that there is a reason for doing it. There's a really clear reason. Whereas doing your own branding for yourself, you've got to work out what all of those things are. And 
I don't think it matters quite so much on an artist's website. I think the real rule for an artist's website is let it be subdued, let the work talk for itself, which is why it's never felt like an enormous priority. But mm. yeah, it might be quite a fun project to work on a little bit over the summer, I think. Anyway, it was just, I just noticed that it was a, that was a nice part of a day that I enjoyed. And I think that's always a good thing to make a note of when it happens. So let's come on to our main area for discussion today, which is going to be talking about the kind of the networks and the connections that we make as artists with other artists. Because one of the things that often comes up, and I know it was certainly an issue for me, was that I felt like I wanted to put a lot of effort into building my audience online and I felt frustrated that I was getting followed by a lot of other artists. And I see that this is, this is an issue that often that comes back with people that I'm working with. They say it's only other artists following me and I want, in inverted commas, proper followers. And over time, what I've realized is that it's these connections with other artists basically don't discount them. They, they're really important, like more important in more ways than I think you can no certainly at the beginning so I think it's worth talking about that a little bit and you've certainly felt it over the last few weeks you know those connections with other artists who've been helping you with support in the group you couldn't have done it on your own and you couldn't have done it with people who don't understand the process of making art and what they got from it yeah yeah absolutely I mean so many different ways that that this podcast and the other things I've done because I was marketing a course as well I did want artist followers so I reached out to them initially for that reason but now it turns out that that's not the only benefit so I've had people approach me about exhibiting work and because as well as being an artist they also own a gallery or own a space or have connections um, and and somebody just reached out to me about possibly exhibiting work from members of my group um, once all this is over. So those kind of things come out of it. Opportunities you couldn't have imagined. You, you don't, in other words, don't just think everyone who follows you is, who is an artist is A, only an artist, mm. B, knows no one else, and C, yeah. has no money. Because <laughs> none of yeah. those things are true. And that's what yeah. we think, oh, it's a starving artist with no friends who's, following me I've I mean I think I said this before but when I put my series of artist support pledge work up almost everyone who bought was an artist at some level or another and and I didn't know that until I went to get mailing addresses and check and I was like oh that one's in my group that one's on my newsletter you know these are actually because the other thing is sometimes I don't know if you've ever felt this. We love our work. We love a certain painting for the way the paint drips or the way we've got a sanded texture that you couldn't have got any other way. Non-artists don't get that when they look at it. I've I've seen it over and over again. They just don't. They do if you point it out and they go, oh, nice. But that's not why they like the painting. Other artists get get drawn in by that same thing. And so they want to often want to own it because they appreciate what went into it 
on a different level than a collector might. And I I've definitely bought work. Yeah. I, if I look at the, the work that I've bought from other artists, either other artists that I don't know um, at fairs and galleries and places like that, or other artists that I know, there is always something in that work that I kind of want a bit of in mine. And that's the way you get it. It's like, I just want a bit of that. I just want to own a bit of that. Just, yeah. Have a, I mean, I've just bought something yesterday and all it, all it is, it's because of the colour. Like, why have you bought this thing? Because it's just this fantastic combination of colour that at the moment is really exciting me. So, and I can think, well, I have that and I have that somewhere in my house and it's not mine. We've just been talking about how hard it is for you to maybe look at your own visuals and branding and how you put yourself together it's the same thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's a little bit hard to look at your own work and get it. But when you can see it one step removed in somebody else's, it almost acts as a reminder for you in your own work, just to nudge you a little bit more in that direction. Yeah. I yeah. don't know, I don't know if we've, we feel like we should be guilty for admitting that. I'm buying it because I want a bit of it in mine. But I mean, it's the same. People buy our art because they want a, a bit of that feeling we've created in their home, we're just doing it on a different level. I want a bit of that feeling that you've created in my home and in my work. And if I bring this home, it might. Um, But I really love that, how the the comments that come on Instagram or Facebook from uh, art buyers who 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 don't make art themselves, um, are nice to get oh this is beautiful I love this I love the colors I love the you know whatever but then you get a comment from an artist and it's often really insightful they've noticed something that you wanted to do and they understand that you were trying to do that even just something as simple as saying I absolutely love that tiny bright spot in that dark area and how that really lights up the whole thing it's like oh good somebody noticed that yes. I did that <laughs> Yeah, in terms terms of the benefit for for you, if you are having that kind of reaction and response and conversation to your posts and to your comments on Instagram, it really helps you. If all of the response and comments are, oh, nice painting, or or even from collectors who might be a little bit nervous, maybe they don't know what to say about it, they like it, they don't comment, you know, your engagement and your reach is not going to be nearly as good as when you're having those kind of conversations. So not only does it is it, does it make it a more rewarding place to hang out and to be? But it actually really helps you in terms of how your marketing works to be involved with other artists. And it just prompts all these lovely ideas and conversations. I, I mean, I've lost track of the things that have happened as a result of just being in touch with other artists on social media platforms. I'm talking about being on other people's podcasts, having guests on ours, people setting up exhibitions together, doing collaborative work together. I mean, all sorts of things that happen as a result. And it would be, you know, that was the whole reason that I got on social media in the first place, as I was just fed up of it being on my own in my own little room. So not only do artists make great buyers because they really appreciate it, but they it just makes your life so much more fulfilling. It's yeah. so much more fun. And 
artists know other people. So, so I had a, I have a lady, um, Liz, if you're listening, who lives near me and she's, uh, taken a few of my free workshops online and she came to a little workshop I did in a nearby town a few years ago. And so every now and then we see each other. Um, but she shared one of my paintings online a couple of years ago. Uh, one of her friends saw it and came over from Wales where he lives to, to my open studios and bought it mm-hmm. and since bought three different paintings now the only way he knew me was because he happens to be friends with an artist who happens to follow me so all of these people that are following you and excited about you and your work have friends that they're telling about you and your work and so you just don't know you just don't know where any single connection is going to lead you and just being nice to people yeah, and in encouraging those connections as much as you can, because obviously we're all busy, and sometimes it's overwhelming if you get lots and lots of messages. Because you very kindly let me know how to allow messages on my stories, which has been quite <laughs> quite interesting, because um, every time I do a little story, I have to go through like twenty or thirty messages, accepting people like. Instagram doesn't let people message you. So you can't just get the message. You have to go in and manually accept every person. So sometimes we are too busy to respond and be nice to every single person. And there's just can't, only so much we can do in the world. But if you have the time just to answer somebody. I was listening to my hero, Gary V the other day, and he was talking to some, some guy with a, a reasonable following on Instagram. He was trying to build a business and he said, do you answer everybody who messages you? And the guy said, not everybody, but if they write something worth replying to. And he said, you know, the cheek of you that you've only got 5,000 followers and you can't be bothered to answer every single one of them if they write to you is just, who do you think you are kind of thing? And and I do think that's a good point to 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 be, to nurture those connections and to not assume oh, well, this person's just following me because they like my work and they, they're they another artist and they want to do work like mine and I'm not going to yeah. bother answering them because they're just, you know, all they ever do is put a little heart. And, and by the way, if anybody's listening, I'm not talking about anybody here that I'm, you know, that follows me. I'm just saying these are the kind of things it's easy to think. Uh, yeah, I, I'll talk to the real buyers, but they might well be the real buyers or they might know the real buyers or they might, recommend you to someone else or they might you know you just don't know I think when people respond simply with emojis it's a little bit hard just to to reply to that and I'm, I must admit that I often don't reply to those so if somebody just replies to a story with a face with hearty eyes yeah I, I can't reply I to don't usually them. reply to this but sometimes what I do notice is that if somebody has replied to quite a few things with that then I will write back to them and say, thanks for commenting on all my stuff, you know, something like along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, it does, it does depend on the day. I had the, the, um, the top hit that I had in terms of replies the other day, the other day was I posted a photograph. Actually, she was lying on your exercises. The dog came into the studio of all the places that she could lie down. She was lying down 
on top of the work that was drying on the floor, like literally lying on top of it. And anyway, I put a photograph on stories. I think that has been my most commented, replied, responded to story story post in terms of messages. I ended up with somebody, we were sending videos of the dogs doing stupid things for the rest of the day. It was just like, it's just so silly, but it's fun, you know. It's yeah. fun to do things like that. Um, okay, but that leads us on to the next part of it is that often, so the first part is, oh, other artists are following me. I want proper followers. They don't, I hope we've talked enough about why don't think like that. The next part of it is to think what you can do proactively to be supportive for other artists. So don't wait for other people to do it for you you do it for them first. And this is something that I started doing a while ago. Um, In my story highlights, I have got a section called Artist Artist Love. And um, that is, it's often screenshots of people's whole grids. So, and then you tag them in it so that you're basically, you're, you're finding artists who you, you're really enjoying following and you're sharing it in your stories to help other as well. And the, now, of course, there are so many other ways you can do that. And I know that lots of you do this already, but when there's a post that somebody's got, you can share that to your story. Um, you know, you can tag people, but this, it's a, it's a change in mindset, isn't it really about it's a little bit like what we were talking about towards the end of last week, rather than thinking there's a limit in the world. There's only it actually, you know, I've got to keep things closed off and, and only be thinking about myself. This is a more expansive way of thinking about it. Like I'm not worried that if I share somebody else's work, somebody might go off and buy a painting from them rather than buy a painting from me. If, if I share somebody's work and you, you love their work more than you love mine, fantastic. Really, you know, no problems with that at all. Um, but it, I think it is a, a little bit of a shift is, is what we can do. And I see some people do this really, really, really well. Um, just as broadening out. I suppose, and but starting from a point of you doing it as a shout out for another artist rather than waiting for somebody to come to you. It's a little bit like the thought of galleries. You know, I'm waiting for a gallery to pick me up because then everything will all be solved. No, it won't be. You've still yeah. got to be proactive. You've still got to do it. So being proactive in this way is perhaps maybe an easier way into that what do you think yeah definitely and, I, and I've not been good about that on Instagram I used to have a, a second feed for this painting life which is my my blog and company and I used to do a daily post sharing something of other artists and then I got out of the habit and I haven't done that mm. for ages that I, and I should maybe pick that up again but one thing I've been doing um so in my membership group for the next few months, I'll be teaching the course. And I was trying to think, how can I keep interesting content going without killing myself? And and I thought, oh, I could have artist guests each week and, and I could, um, you know, interview them and maybe they've got some creative suggestions for the group, etc. But instead, but so then I, I thought, let me choose people who want to reach other artists. Let me choose people who who will benefit from coming into the group. Let me not just go and ask people, will you do this for me, please? Because why would they? 
um, they might out of kindness. But let me go and find people who this is an opportunity for and say, would you like to come and talk to my group? And like you said, if they end up going, you know what, that person's better teacher than Louise, I'm going to go to them. Mm. Fine. You know, then they, yeah. then they found the right person for them. But so in that way, um, I hope it's an, it's an opportunity for the members in my group to learn something, but I hope it's an opportunity for other artists in my network again. So if you... If you're in my network and we've had some kind of connection and relationship, and I think you've got something to offer to my group, then you just benefited from that network connection. Because and you will only you will only know that about somebody by being involved with them, what they do, seeing what they share previously. Yeah. You know, otherwise you wouldn't know who to approach, would you? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, even two years ago. I would have been really struggling for who to approach, you know, because I didn't know very many people. Now, now yeah. that I'm building up more of a network, yeah. I have more of an idea. And when I approach people, I have something to offer them. And I think that's really important in our networking, yeah. in our networking with other artists. It's, um, it's a common tendency for humans. And I see this all the time to just go to another human who's more successful and say, can you help me? Um, and they're busy and why would they but if you can go to them and sit and think of a way that you can help them as as you're saying sharing their work sharing it letting people know about them first they're far more likely then to help you later on down the road so I think that's a key part of networking is don't look at it as what can I get out of an artist network look at it as what can I give to other people and the more you give, the more you get back. That was a I think little homily there for you. <laughs> it's a really good point, actually. And while you were talking, it made me realise that I am really bad at asking for help. Really bad. So what you've done this week with, or last week with asking people to help moderate within your group, I would never have, I don't think I would ever have felt comfortable asking people to volunteer to do that because I would have assumed they're all too busy why would they do it and likewise in terms of I don't know asking people to come on the podcast doesn't feel doesn't feel the same I'm quite happy with that but asking other people to help with other things in my business or to contribute in some way I'm not very good at it doesn't occur to me is that because I'm totally egocentric or because I don't <laughs> don't like asking people I don't know I think that's just an interesting thing that's thrown up yeah well I would have assumed as well on the helping helping out of the goodness of your heart I was shocked and surprised and that I can't remember how that actually arose but it didn't initially arise from me saying do you want to do this? I think it was more yeah, of an somebody offer. just somebody volunteered. I yeah. think I can't quite remember, but but I have this week then reached out and actually brought some people in to help officially and yeah. on a paid basis because I suddenly realised that the course is quite big and if I want everybody to have a really good experience, I'm going to need some help. Yeah, yeah. And you said to me, "Oh, I wouldn't do that even, or I wouldn't. That wouldn't." be as natural but you have done it you have gradually done it you've brought some people in to help taking me a long time because I was trying to get to the bottom of is it the asking for free help that's hard for you or is it 
asking for any kind of help, even if you're compensating the other person? I think within the membership, it fe- I, I've never quite got the handle of um, why somebody would come in and contribute content. I like the idea of working collaboratively with people. And this is what I was going to go on to say is that if you have the idea of a collaborative project with somebody, much like starting this, let's try this thing together and we're equals in it and we'll build it together and we'll see where it goes. And I say this and you say this, and we've both got license to change things or have a different opinion on it. Don't have a problem with that. What I think I find difficult is um, this is my this is my space and I'd like you to come in and talk to people about XYZ thing or whatever you want. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know quite what it is. I understand like I I understand it to the extent where I can't offer them something back. So I felt okay. Yes, about, I think maybe that's it. I felt okay about approaching these people because I knew, like I said, each one of them would benefit from exposure to a, a, a significant group of artists. So it would be desirable to them. Same as when we asked Brian to do the podcast. If he hadn't had a book out, perhaps it wouldn't have been as appealing to him because he's a busy artist and why would he want to talk to another group of artists? Who knows? I might not have felt I could approach him. The fact that he had a book out meant I could approach him and say, yes. we get 5,000 downloads a week, you know, all artists, perfect buyers for your book. Would you like to come and appear? So it kind of gave me a way to invite. So I think that, that it is hard just to ask people, would you do me a favor and come on? Um, I like think I, what I'm trying to... What I'm niggling, niggling at and not quite getting is that there, has, there is this thing. So as you say, it's easier to do when somebody else has their own thing. So Brian has his book. The other artists that you're talking about, about being guest artists, have their own things that they offer for artists. So the purpose of this is that when you're looking for these link-ups and connections, um, when you're wondering who you can approach, it does make it a lot easier if you can see that somebody else is already out there maybe and doing something or promoting something in a particular way because you know then what you can offer for them. I suppose but if we're so. talking... The, yeah, I was well, just thinking, the other thing is you do have something to offer even when they don't have anything to promote. What do we want more than anything as artists? We want to be recognized and admired for our artwork. We want to feel like somebody loves our work and gets what we're doing. So if you were to approach somebody and say, I absolutely love your work, I'm fascinated by it, I'm fascinated by your process, would you come in and talk to me and my group about how you work? at least a good chunk of those people, you are actually, I'm just thinking now, you are giving them something. They're getting from that, that sense of, oh, somebody really loves my work. And now I'm going to get to talk about it to a big group of other people and tell them why it matters to me so much and share it. And remembering, going back to the artists buy things, if they're savvy, they also know that out of that group of 400 people or whoever are going to watch it, some of them are going to want to buy paintings from yeah. time to time and might want to buy yours. So I'm now thinking about it in a different way than I was because I was thinking the same. Well, how do I ask somebody who 
who doesn't have anything specific that they give to other artists, but they do. They have paintings and other artists buy paintings. So I suppose artists all the time go to local clubs or wherever and do talks for 20 or 40 people and get paid 50 pounds or something for doing that. Here, you're offering someone the chance to talk to 400 people um, who are seriously interested in art. So you do have something, we do have something to offer people yeah, even I think when I'd all just, it is, is painting. I'd want it to be on a, on a wider platform than that. And I think where, where this is, where this is really interesting is forcing you, well, it's already brought up this issue of what you can offer and asking for help and how you think about it and what category it falls in, which might be a block for you. And obviously is a little bit for me, um, but the other area where I've seen it work really well is is artists working collaboratively on projects. So um, Tara Lever and Shilpa Agash, um, this is, and we'll put the links to both of their Instagrams in the show notes. Uh, they've been working on a on a postal sketchbook project. So they've been working on a sketchbook I think they might have two sketchbooks going and they're posting it between each other and working on it and I know that that arose out of a a, a conversation simply by approaching the other person and saying shall we work on this project together and that's an interesting point here as well because sometimes I know that we've spoken about this before like when we approached Brian it felt like we were hitting way above our level yeah And I think that that's something that comes up often in this too. It's easier to approach somebody who you feel is on a similar level to you because when you're trying to almost go up a step, then then it brings up all these issues of, but what can I offer in return? But I think it can also be more mutually beneficial than you anticipate. So that's just something else to bear in mind, I think, that you don't necessarily have to always stay within, I don't know, it's kind of like we end up putting ourselves in boxes about where we are with our work and what we can potentially do with it. And I think these kind of collaborative forms can really help you extend outside that because you've got somebody else pushing you a little bit or somebody Mm. else leading you into a pasture or maybe they do something that you don't know or maybe they have experience of different materials that you don't know or conversation this week with somebody has introduced me to a different software thing that I didn't know existed and it's it's just always extending your experience extending your experience and yeah definitely it's really it's a really important thing to try to bring into your work and your practice somehow even beyond the marketing promotion side of it and I think like this week something happened I said to you I've had this idea I messaged you because I didn't used to have anyone to discuss these kind of ideas with because I didn't know anyone who's kind of in the same way of thinking about business as me in art and I messaged you and said I've had this idea I don't but I I don't I think it's probably too much and we had a little conversation and something you said made me think yeah I'm just going to do it I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for that conversation. Mm. And there's been quite a few times in our working together now on the podcast where just one little thing that one of us says, and that's what outside input does, isn't it? But we often don't get that because we work alone. We often don't get that. So I just think it's so important. 
I mean, just the most important part of our networking, I actually think, is with other artists. Now we're having this conversation. Buyers are important, but the network of artists is so does so much more than just sell paintings. So we've got a couple of different levels here, haven't we? We've got the general network level, sharing for others, having conversations with others, how that spreads the net, remembering that all of those people know other people as well. And now we're also talking about perhaps individual collaborations, accountability partners, like is there somebody else who you're really feeling an affinity with perhaps who you could reach out and say, hey, why don't, and I've done this and we've done this in the past as well, get together a small group of us and for example, we will collaborate or we'll get together once every three weeks, we'll talk about our work, where do you want it to go, have a little bit of feedback and discussion around it because that's a very different thing again from putting a post on Instagram and seeing what comments come back. This this two-way conversation idea, that's where things jump in that feed something new. And I think we need that. And I've just in the last few months, God, and this is going to feed into what's inspired. I've just really missed that element of other things coming in. I it, it is starting to feel, to feel like slow, slow constriction. And it is that. It's not getting that somehow other, mm. other input, but within a space that's very definitely yours. So I wonder if that's something that maybe people could do. If you've got somebody, maybe put something on a slightly more formal setting. Reach out and ask. You don't have anything to lose by asking. You don't. As long I, as what I, you're I, offering is mutually beneficial, I think. I used to be so scared of asking. And I still always say when I ask somebody, totally understand if it's not possible, because I just don't want the other person to feel any sense of, oh, now I've got to say no, and that'll just, Um, I always try and make it as easy as possible to say no, but it's very, very rare that people say no, actually, if you just ask. It's surprising. Okay, we have a question that has come in. This is from um, C.A. Boney 1, C.A. Boney Art on Instagram. And she says, how do you find a good framer to work with your art that strikes a balance between cost and enhancing the work? Here's a little bit of background. I'm a regular listener. I adore every show. You're both so inspiring, but I've got a question. What are the ways to finish or frame your work? I've submitted to my local art center and the selected pieces travel to schools to give children the experience of an art exhibit. The work I submitted was good, but I feel the frame was heavy and way too expensive for the piece. I would have used a stock frame, but they are never quite right. The size may be off, colour, etc. It was mixed media on watercolour paper, but it's light. What I'd like is some advice about finding a framer, knowing what options are available for each type of substrate. And I'm thinking about going to garage sales and picking up cheap pictures and painting over the frames to use for my work. But that seems a bit hit and miss. Thanks for considering my dilemma. Um, This is a great question. It's something we all have to think about. I think there's a lot in here about... Um, finding perhaps consistency with your framing. Um, There's the cost element and there's also what's appropriate for the piece. So uh, what's your framing story? I 
Um, so when I started off selling, I did use fairly cheap frames. My work wasn't selling for very much and I would buy standard frames. And I felt that was appropriate at the time. Now I'm, I'm much more careful and I make sure, and I have several different ways. I, I have a reasonable framer, does a very nice work with, um, does very nice work with things on paper behind glass, but isn't quite up to date with, with perhaps tray frames and things and some of the different nice ways to frame boards. So um, I also have a joiner friend who's made me some custom frames. They were fantastic. Very, but each of these options was not cheap. And my feeling is that now, so I used to do the standard frames and then, you know, sell my work really cheaply. Now I think that represents how I felt about it. Now I feel it deserves to be framed well and that I should invest the money in that. But that means I have to be, this is from my perspective, I have to be really sure that this piece is finished and fantastic and worthy of a really good frame. Mm. And then I'm willing to spend the money on it. And But my experience is, whether it's my friend doing it for me, who I pay, doesn't do it for free, or whether it's the framer, the prices tend to kind of be the same. It's not cheap to do. Mm-hmm. It's time consuming. The materials are not cheap. And there isn't, so you're not going to go searching around and find a framer that's 50% cheaper than everyone else. They're all going to be in the same kind of ball, ballpark. But you are going to find perhaps one whose aesthetic you like better. So it sounds like she didn't like, I think it's a she, she didn't she thought the frame was wrong for the piece. That means that's not the right framer yet. I think you you go to a few and you see, you know, does this person suggest, like what I like about my friend is he, he'll say, this would look really good with this kind of frame, I think, or I think he should have a black background there to set off this painting. Whereas I've been to some framers where they'll just pull the stock mounts off the wall and show you, well, this is what I've got. So I don't know, that's kind of a rambling answer, but I I don't think there's a cheap way to do it. And I think you have to find someone whose aesthetic suits yours. And I think you only frame pieces when you think they're fantastic and ready for that kind of investment. Yeah, I've got a a little, I think most people start off like you started off as well with you, you, you know, you go to Ikea or you go to a place that has stock frames off the shelf in set sizes. I always had an issue with that because those tend to be for standard, that standard rectangular shape proportion. And I have never liked working in that format. I've always liked working either long and thin or square. So I never, those frames just never fitted my work. It was (laughs) really annoying at the beginning where I didn't feel like I had a budget for it. Um, I did find some square ones at Ikea, but I only used them once, I think, and the quality was just so... I just didn't want to use them ever again. I... If when you go to a high street framer, the prices are quite expensive because they their business is set up usually to do framing one or two pieces for somebody. And they're usually, they're in a shop, they've got premises, they've got storefront, they've got all of that kind of thing to cover. If you can try and find a trade framer within your area, you're going to benefit a little bit from the from cost savings because they don't have that 
storefront experience that they're having to pay for but the balance in it in this is they are there as a trade framer for large quantities and they need you to be respectful of their time and the quantity of work that you're giving them so all of these these discussions about frames and which one will work well with this you've got to be pretty clear on what you want if I went into my framer and I spent 45 minutes hanging around going oh I don't know about this one or I don't know about this one or what do you can you price this one and can you price this one it's not really set up for that I have to be really clear what it is that I want in advance and then he can price it up for me quickly and then I can say fine great I'll have 12 like that please I'm not going to go in and say I'll have three like that and four like that it's just not the way the business works for him and I think I have to be respectful of his time there are save there definitely a savings on that than me getting the the equivalent frame from the high street where I live which would probably cost twice the price so there is a kind of difficult halfway stage but since I started doing it there is more available online now there are there are I mean, I use easy frame and e-frame sometimes online. Mm -hmm. And some of those have options where you can upload your image. So you can actually get a preview of how it looks online, how it looks in advance. And I find those really helpful. But what I would say is um, consider the type of material that you're using for your frame, because what often happens is that you have a number of pieces framed and some of them sell perhaps and some of them don't. And I think one thing that's really important to try to remember or to try to build in is, can you reuse that frame for another painting? And if it gets damaged in any way, is it repairable? And this is often the problem with some of the re- the cheaper frames is that they have a basically, it's a kind of plasticky lacquer on the outside. And if it gets knocked or damaged, that's it. You've had it is gone. There's no way you can repair that. The corners can often, if they haven't been mitered really nicely, the corners can often look tatty. And it does, it brings down the feeling of the work. So I always go for bare wood that I paint myself because I can update it. I can repair it. I can give it a fresh coat of paint. I can sand the corners so that they're smooth, all of those kind of things. And so that would be my advice is go for a simpler frame with something that you can amend yourself. And I learned this the wrong way. In the early days, I found a trade framer. He was in an industrial estate. I took work in for him. They were a series of small pieces and I really wanted something special. And he did these beautiful waxed and wire walled painted frames and they were absolutely gorgeous. One of them got a scratch on it and there was no way that I could repair it because this lovely kind of polished distressed finish that had been hand done, you couldn't touch it up without it being visible. Mm. So you know, even though I'd invested a fortune in these frames, I never did that again. Mm. Um, yeah, so that for me is always is always a rule, is, 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 is having something that I can amend and update. And I, I don't know, I don't have set, I don't, I don't like to stick with my frames for too long. I, f- I feel like if I've got a particular type of work, I like to be able to change the framing on it. So a new series might have a new type of frame, but there's always something that's in common maybe with the last one. I would just try to keep my frames really simple. 
I wonder if there is a difference. I think there might be a stylistic difference according to where you are in the world. Mm, Yeah, no idea. I mean, like wooden frames in the UK at the moment, not a lot of people use wooden frames, do they? No. Certainly oak, maybe maybe ash, limed ash, something that's a bit grey or something like that. But but those mid-brown type of frames, no, just, you just don't see them at the moment. But I think maybe in the States you do. Yeah, I don't know. From what I see. So I think there is there is a little bit of country, different countries have different styles. But it has to come down to your your aesthetic, really. Yeah, and this person clearly didn't like the frame that was done on that piece. She felt it was too heavy for the piece. Yeah. So it's uh, that's why I think finding a framer whose style suits you, whose work you like, is more important than finding one with the cheapest price. Do you have a rule for price? I kind of have a rule for price. I try not to spend more than... 10% of the selling price on the frame. Yeah, well, since you told me that, that's kind of my guide because I didn't really think about it. And my work initially was, it's always the, the paper ones have to go behind glass and it's more complicated and then the frame's more expensive and I wasn't charging enough to compensate for that. Yeah. So um, it was much higher, but I think that is a good rule of thumb and I'm going to keep that in mind when it comes to framing the next set of work on paper. Yeah, but I think I can only do that because I think I found this trade frame. If I was going with bespoke made frames, at high street prices, there's no way I'd be able to mm-hmm. to stick with that level. Yeah. Um, so I do have someone I can go to. I have not yet gone to him, but there is a trade framer that's used by a lot of the people around here and he works from a farm. So again, he doesn't have a shop front or any of that. And I've seen his frames and they're nice. So that's probably going to be my next stop. But Again, you have to have a collection of things to take. I can't just pop up with yep. one thing and say, can you make me a frame for this little 12-inch board? So when I get this whole series done. Now, here's another question before we get off framing. What do you do with, because I'm working really large at the moment, and I'm looking at them thinking, I can't possibly see how I can put a frame on these. Um, five feet by four feet. Do you bother or do you just leave those? It, well, I always used to just leave them, but then I had a really large canvas and, well, not really large, a meter canvas, and I framed it and it looked so good. And I thought, I know. Oh, I now I'm going to want to frame everything. Yeah, those were the ones that my friend made for me. He made some frames for big meter paintings, and they, it looks so much better. It was only a simple tray frame, but it made all the difference. For for really large paintings, I have seen it in galleries. I think it's almost a St. Ives 1950s type thing where you don't have a proper frame with mitered corners. You have just a strip of wood, very thin wood. So it's a very, very slim frame. And it just has panel pins that just knock it into the edge of the canvas. And the corners bluntly overlap each other. I don't know what the proper title name of that type of framing is, but that to me, it's almost like it's it's protection. It's almost like it's a kind of sacrificial piece of wood that actually really just protects the painting. 
Right. And I think maybe that's a solution for really large pieces, but Mm -hmm. I I haven't done it yet. And you could do that yourself. What about this question about finding frames and garage sales and painting over them? I think for for some work, it can work really well, but you've got to think about that eclectic mix. If it feeds your work, if it's part of the way that you work, then I think it can benefit it. Yeah, the problem but I if you're have doing with save costs, it's tricky. Yeah, the problem I'd have with that suggestion because she said she was thinking of buying the paintings, painting over them, so then they fit in the frame. But the and that might work for the way that she works. But for me, then I, I, I'm constrained to painting on that size because that's what the painting is. So you're setting a painting, yourself- just painting over the frame. She's talking about, but yeah, you're still limited to what size artwork. Did she say frame? Up? Okay, I thought she said painting over the painting. So painting that she's over the frames. Oh, okay. Unless okay. I read it wrong, which is so possible. then you've got to make a painting that's the right size for the frame you bought, rather than making a painting and finding a frame. Yeah. So the constraints of that, I wouldn't fancy but for someone else that that might spark creativity it's a limitation isn't it right I've got to make something in this size so it could work and that way you'd have nice that that like you say that eclectic range of frames might work like when you you have a a, what do you call it when you have a feature wall and it's all gallery wall a gallery wall and it's nice when they're all different frames and yes you know so that might work it's just then it's got to be that it can't be that and then some from Ikea, and then some really nicely done ones. It's got, if, if your thing is eclectic frames that are handmade or hand-painted, then that's what it has to be, I think, for the whole yeah. play. Make a feature of it. Yeah. That could I think it's, it's nice. It, could, it can be really good fun. So what we're saying is don't let the tail wag the dog. Just the, the framing is there to support your work and if you can find a way of doing that with frames that already exist then by all means do it but there is also there's no doubt that framing can really elevate your work and although it feels a little bit scary to to move into that and to up level your framing it can make a huge difference and really help your artwork be be presented better and helps people feel more confident about buying it and all of those kind of things i think in terms of practically it's easier to price it's easier to work if you have a degree of consistency about it rather than everything being ad hoc it's certainly easier to pack it and wrap it and all of that kind of thing but also it is it is fun that the the style of the framing should really be supportive of the style of your work and if that is variable and fun and individual and unique and the framing really becomes an important element of the work itself then that is one way to look at it. Right, to wrap up then, anything inspired you this week? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited to share this with everybody. So I have been following this musician for many years, a singer-songwriter in American called Jason Isbell who I first discovered in 2007 I think when he left a band he was in he was a young kid and he is one of the most amazing songwriters I've ever known and not just musically but lyrics and I love words and his lyrics are to die for they literally sometimes I just groan when I hear his songs because the words are so clever and he just released a new album 
and there's and he released it in lockdown so there's no concerts there's nothing he can do um so that's why I brought him to mind because he did a concert on YouTube with his wife who's also in his band and she's playing violin and he's playing guitar and they perform the whole album in this empty bowling alley in Nashville with people watching on Zoom on these big screens and the concert was amazing the album's amazing but why I find him so inspirational I'd kind of forgotten about him until the album came out is it's his talent is phenomenal. But I remember when I first discovered him, I thought, if he's not famous, if he's not massively successful, then there's no hope for anyone because he's so good. And why is he this? I used to go see him in these tiny venues. And um, he's not a good looking guy. So he didn't have any of that. He didn't have an image, you know, but he's just so good. And I thought, so, this is what's wrong with our world. You know, this person's mm-hmm. not successful. Now, every time I went to see him, he worked nonstop from between then and now. And every time I went to see him, it was a slightly nicer place and a slightly larger audience. And I think it was last year or the year before he won Grammys. And he's now number, every album's number one when it comes out. He's huge in that world of alternative country music, which is what he is. And the, and he was an alcoholic when I first used to go and now he doesn't drink and he's changed his whole life around. But really what inspires me about him is it's, it's this combination of talent with amazing work ethic, which does get you there. It does. It just doesn't happen uh, the first time you release a brilliant album. It takes, well, in his case, probably five brilliant albums before the next one became huge. But there's this song of his, which I was listening to again this morning when I thought of this, and it so sums up our times and what's happened in the last few months, although it wasn't written about that. It's called 24 Frames. Uh, which apparently is the time it takes in a film to film something happening. And it's about how your life can completely change in a second and everything you were planning. And he's got this line in it, which I'm going to bungle up, but it says, I th- you thought God was an architect. Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow and everything you built goes up in flames in 24 frames. That kind of writing, every time I hear it, I go, oh, I wish I, I wish I could do that. Um, so everything about him, this concert that he gave inspired me. The lyrics he was singing, the relationship with him and his wife, the way they were doing this concert alone in lockdown and still putting an album out in a difficult time and how good it is. Um, and the fact of watching somebody build up their career in what we're always talking about. It doesn't happen. Mm. instantly it happens in small steps over time but it does happen if you put the work in so I wonder what his ambitions were because the the thing what I'm thinking as you're talking about this is that you you your feeling when you saw him at the beginning was why isn't somebody like this famous? And who knows, maybe he did want to be famous. I've never heard of him. Is he famous for some people? He really is. Yes. Some people, he is, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. But I suspect that every little step in that felt really good. Yeah. Like you say, every time, right, okay, we need to book some venues. Where should we go this time? Should we go a bit bigger? 
yeah, yeah. let's go for those ones yeah and each little part is feels just as it's not just about uh, there he was at the beginning and now he's reached this big audience and grammys it's about all those little bits that happen in the middle and actually i read an article in the new york times about him um him and his wife had a really hard time between the before the release of this album they've been married about four years they've got a child and they went through a rough patch and he said a lot of it was the success that he'd had and the pressure to make another album that was as good as the last one which won all the grammys and everything and that put a strain on everything so it's not only that all those steps um felt good it's that sometimes they feel better than when you get to the to the top Mm. or whatever And you've got all that to do again. A friend of mine is friends with the lady who uh, wrote the ABBA play that became the film. What what is that called? You know, Mamma Mia. Mia. And they were, he's a playwright. She's a playwright together. They were at the beginning together. And then she did that. And and he went to see her in her big house somewhere. And she was really struggling at the time. I think she did the next thing, but she was saying, how, what, you know, what am I going to do now? Like I've done that. And it's huge and I've got to do something else and everyone's waiting for it. So that's the other side of it. We think we're aiming to get to that point where we have this brilliant reputation for our art and everybody's impressed. And But that's just another level of pressure. Maybe it's more fun in the, at the beginning when we're just doing it for ourselves. Is that inspirational? I think that is <laughs> that's a bit depressing. <laughs> But he's got past that now and he's fine with his wife again and everything's lovely. So it all ends happily ever after. Good. Good. What about you? Well, um, I'm just, like I say, this feeling of of getting out, I'm quite inspired by the fact that we have got summer with no airports in sight. Hate airports. Hate the waste of time at airports. Not going to miss that at all, but I am quite looking forward to an end of term feeling. We had a virtual, virtual uh, parents meeting with my daughter's teachers yesterday, which actually was quite good because you know how normally they can go on long. They each session with a teacher can go on for ages and ages and ages, and people don't stick to their times. And then you're hanging around, and you're like, "Well, I was booked in for six twenty, and this person's here, and now there's third in the queue, and am I going to miss physics, which is over in another room?" Oh nightmare this was quite brilliant because you've got 10 minutes and like if you hadn't finished what you were saying in 10 minutes just cut you off (laughs) mid-sentence so it was fantastic I actually quite enjoyed it Amy said oh I'm not sure about this but I was like oh no this is so much better than standing around a sports hall all evening um so that end of term feeling I think is is quite inspiring me and also just I'm back to this thought again about expansion and contraction in work and about how you have to blow things up at times beyond your current boundaries and then narrow back down in again and that is always part of the process for me whether it is within a painting really pushing it and then narrowing it back down to what I want but you discover all of these things along the way or whether it is thought processes about these exercises that I'm trying just just this expansion and contract it's like breathing isn't it Make it bigger and then you breathe you, out again. So. Is it is it feeling like that because we're getting out more now, do you think? 
not that I'm getting out more because I'm still paranoid. I'm going nowhere. But if if no, uh, I'm not really going anywhere either. But I, I, it's just is it it's a feeling a of like things opening up again? Do you think? And it's it's a cyclical thing for me. So I always have my year based around term times, and this this chunk that we're going into now, which I called summer two, is an it, in a way it's a non productive chunk. It's a it's a chunk of time where the family are around, where I don't have a concentration on creating a body of work. There's no pressure involved. And as a result, often really good things come out of it. Mm. So I quite like it as a time. So I'm a little bit excited about it. Of course, they've been around forever now, so there's not any difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you again. <laughs> You, I did bump into some neighbours the other day and usually he's at home and she's the one that's out working and, and um, we said, how's it been? And she said, it's been fine. She said, I've really loved it. It's been really nice seeing the children, everybody around. She said, I think he's going a little bit crazy because we've all been on his space and he's just like, can you just leave the house? Just leave, <laughs> yeah, just go, everybody difficult. go out. That is really difficult. That's what's, yeah. that's what's not been different for me just because Phil never went anywhere. He, he works from home too. So I haven't experienced that, but neighbors, friends have been saying, you know, enough, like time yeah. for things to go back to normal. <laughs> yeah. 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 So finally, I think that wraps it up from us this week. Don't know whether you enjoy the ones where we just waffle on too long or you're going, ladies, enough, move on. <laughs> We're done. That's it. We will see you again next week. Very happy painting and happy creative, whatever you're working on until then. Bye bye from me. Bye. Somebody told me about a woman going to the therapist and saying, ever since my husband retired, I've realised I don't like him. Was it you told me that? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> told me that. But yeah, you don't. if you don't see that person, you know, because they're working really hard, you don't realise that I, I actually can't stand him. <laughs> <laughs> ¶¶